Wow, that was powerful, guys. I feel like I could go home. (laughs) But God's got more for us today. What's that? Not yet. Amen. Amen is right. Beautiful. So if if this is your first time here, we don't install me every week. So... (laughs) <laughs> I'll let you know that ahead, let you know that ahead of time. Uh, you're, you picked a good day to come. This is the first day of a new series called The Making of a Disciple. We're going to talk about what does that mean? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to make disciples? What does this all mean and how do we live it out? That's one of the things that we do here. One of my passions and goal is that Sunday informs Monday. And so that we can live it out, that we leave here today saying, okay, now what? Now, what do we do with this? Are you ready to live this? That's what we want to do. So how do we live out this discipleship life? And what does it mean? So we're going to start out today in Matthew 28. It's a good place to start, right? Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Uh, If you have your scripture, I invite you to turn there. I'm going to have it up on the screen for us this morning. You can follow along there as well. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the edge. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just ask as we go into your word this morning, as we, we wrestle with this content, as we, we seek to follow you better, Lord, I just ask that you would silence those distractions in our heads, and our hearts, Lord, and that we would be ready to receive your word, Lord. We ask that you would speak through me. I cannot do this on my own, Lord. Every single thing that I've just pledged to this church and to you, I cannot do on my own. I need more of you, Lord. So I would ask that I would decrease so you may increase and that our hearts would be filled with your spirit and empowered by your spirit to live out what you give us today, Lord. Don't let this be a a transfer of information. No, Lord, let your word bring life transformation in this place today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I grew up in, as a Christian, as a believer, whatever you want to call it, this is kind of what I thought the life of a Christian was. I figured, okay, this is what happens. Jesus died for my sins on the cross, rose again in three days. I believe that. So now I pray a prayer about it, right? And then I try the rest of my life not to sin. Okay? That's what I thought. That's what I thought it was. Okay, prayed this prayer. Now I have to be a good person. Now I try not to sin. And this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. Never in my heart, in my head, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I was taught it, but it just didn't ever click inside of me this idea that as Christians... As those who follow Jesus, who those who believe in Jesus, that we're now part of a spiritual family, sons and daughters of God, called to be on a mission to be disciples who make disciples. 
that, that, that God sent us. And like, you know, that saying a prayer, receiving Christ as Lord in my heart, knowing him as personal savior was part one, but part two was like, oh yeah, now you're enlisted in this entire mission to make disciples who make disciples. That didn't compute with me. It wasn't exactly what I thought. And here's the thing, and here's the problem. For some of us, it isn't what we thought. For some of us, this, what I just said, wasn't part of necessarily what was sold to you or what you believed in when you surrendered your life to Christ. You didn't know that or you didn't, you didn't get the full picture or nobody ever taught you how to be a disciple, let alone make disciples. And now, if you're like me, your life is full with so many other things that the idea of going out and making disciples who make disciples feels like one more thing on a completely loaded schedule. Can I hear an amen? Right? That's a problem. And yet, here's the thing. It's the only mission that God gave the church. It's the only thing that Jesus said to us. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, go. That's an action word. I'm not even an English major. I do know that the, uh, the tense for that's imperative. It's a, it's a go. It's, it's, it's got to be something that drives us forward. Make disciples. It, I, I, there's nothing in there. I looked. I even looked in the original Greek, just so you know. And there's nothing like parentheses afterwards that says when you feel like it. <laughs> It doesn't. I was hoping it would be in there. I really did. But it just says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, teaching them all that I commanded you. And I'm with you when I'm doing this. How do we make disciples? I mean, listen, how do we grow the church of the future? How does our church grow? How does our church become filled with people that follow Jesus? How do we reach our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, our friends? How do we reach them to be people who come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? How do we do this as a church? How do the broken things that we see in our community ever come to change? How do we go to the dark places of this world, the dark places of our community, the dark places of our schools? How do we go to any of those places and shine the light of Christ? How do we do any of it? It's all about making disciples. But here's the thing. There's a difference between making disciples and doing church. There is. There's a big difference between making disciples and doing church. A lot of us, if I can be honest, are really good at doing church. And a lot of us grew up in churches or have had experience with church where we do church and we hope that we make disciples somehow in the process. Like it just happens. You know what I mean? A couple years ago, I was reading this book and I came across this quote and it really did change everything for me. It really did. It says this, if you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you just make a church, you rarely get disciples. If you make disciples, you always get the church. The outcome of making disciples who make disciples is a church, is people called by God to a mission, into a family that is on a mission for him. But if you just do church, and you just go through the motions, and we sing five songs, and we listen to some guy talk for half an hour, and we leave, that's not necessarily going to turn out making disciples. There has to be a better way. 
But if you're like me, you think to yourself, like I did the first time I came across this, but Dan, we're really good at church. I grew up in church. I know how to do church. But disciples is the only thing Jesus cares about. It's the only thing he told us to do. It's the only number that he's counting. And as a pastor, can I be honest with you? You know what numbers we often get caught up in? Pastors, boards, sometimes people. The three Bs. You know what those are? Budgets, butts, and baptisms. Did you ever hear that before? How many people we got? What's the budget look like? How many baptisms are we having? We don't measure how many disciples we have, how many people are making disciples, and yet that's what Jesus is calling us. He's called us not to build the church, but to make disciples. Do you know Jesus only mentioned the church twice in his teaching? The first time he mentioned the church was to tell us how to deal with conflict resolution within the church. And the other time that he mentioned the church in his teaching, he said he will build the church. Did you catch that? Yeah, he said he will build the church. But you know what he asked you and me to do? If we follow Jesus, if we believe in Jesus, we believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, we follow him, he is our Lord and Savior, he's called us to make disciples. Make disciples. So what's a disciple? A simple thing to say is it's a follower. It's a student. It's a learner. In in, uh, Christ's time, there was rabbis, there was teachers, and the people that would follow them around and listen to them teach and do life with them and watch their ways and adopt their practices, they were their disciples. And Jesus said, I want you to make disciples. I want you to make students. I want you to make learners. I want you to make uh, followers of, of their master. And as the followers do life with the master and they learn from the master and they walk with the master, they become to walk like the master and they adopt his head and all the things that the master knows and has to teach them. They adopt his heart. The things that break Jesus' heart become the things that break our heart. The things that God loves, the affections that he has become our heart and they affect our hands. We do the things that the master does and he asks us to do. So who's the master? I said it already, it's Jesus, right? And sometimes we can get a little bit off kilter with this. Sometimes, and this is something I, I'm, I'm very guarded, guarded against, I don't want to make disciples of Dan. I don't. And you don't want to be a disciple of Dan. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I don't want you sometimes to adopt some of my habits. Okay? Sometimes we want to be disciples of our favorite scholar or our favorite Bible teacher, or our favorite Sunday school teacher. Sometimes we want to ascribe our followship to something else, and yet Jesus says, make disciples of me. Go and make disciples, people that are in a relationship with me, people that can hear, that can understand, and that can put into practice and obey my teaching. So one of the things we got to know in this, we talking about this, this uh, making disciples, talking about the making of a disciple in this series, is how did Jesus make disciples? How did Jesus do it? Because if we're going to be disciples of him, we have to know how he did it. And so one of the places I see this in scripture is in the the, uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, starting at verse 14. I'm going to have this up here for you. This is what Mark tells us. Chapter 1, verse 14, if you want to follow along in your scripture, I'll switch back to that. It's going to be up here for us. And after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe 
in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he said to Simon and Andrew and the brother and the brother of Simon, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately they, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So Jesus calls people to do something. He calls his disciples. The way he makes disciples is he calls them. He says, follow me, imitate me, and I will make you. So the call to be a disciple means that you follow Jesus, you surrender to Jesus, you put yourself under his lordship, under his teaching, and then there's a thing that's going to happen. Oh yeah, by the way, it just doesn't end with a prayer. He's going to make you something. He's going to make you fishers of men. He's going to make you somebody who can fish for people, somebody who can go and do likewise, make disciples, call people to follow Jesus, and show them how to follow Jesus. And the way that he's going to do this, Jesus tells us in, the, in Mark 1, 15. He lays out the process of this making you into something. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. God's way of doing things, God's way of reordering your life, God's way of changing this world from where it is as a fallen world to a new world is at hand in me. And what you need to do to respond to that, what I want you to do to become fishers of men, become disciples, what I want you to do, the process is to repent and believe. Now for some of us, this word repent has some baggage, doesn't it? I mean, there's at least one person in this church this morning who's had a pastor beat on a pulpit, crying out, repent, and all you felt was condemnation. All you felt was guilt, right? But this word repent, it's a beautiful word. This call to repent and believe is where we need to start as we become disciples who make disciples. You know, the word repent, in case you never heard this before, is literally in the Greek metanoia. Meta, meaning change. Noia, mind. It's an idea to change your mind. Some translations uh, actually have the picture even better. It's, it's to change your heart and your life. It's a, it's a life change. It's, it's a change from, as we sing sometimes, it's a change from the inside out. What, it, what Jesus is literally saying is my kingdom, my way of doing things, being called as part of my kingdom, a citizen of a brand new nation, a member of a brand new family, a follower, a learner of me, is going to mean that in some places in your heart, in your life, in your will, in everything that you have, you are heading in a direction, you have a certain thought, you have a certain mind, and oh yeah, if you follow me and listen to me, I'm going to call you to change that. I want to change your mind. I want to change your heart. And I want you to turn and believe in the good news, in the gospel. I want to change everything. Change is not an option, and we don't like that, do we? We don't like change. Nobody wants to change me. I mean, I've heard so many times, I don't want to be changed, right? But, if, but we have to change because here's the thing. We're called to believe in the good news. And if we're called to believe in the good news, then guess what? I'm not a wise guy. I'm not really, even really that smart. If there's good news, there's probably bad news too, right? 
And here's the thing I know about me. Maybe you have the same feeling. I know that there's things in my mind, in my heart, in my life that are bad news. I know that there's patterns, there's thoughts, there's judgments that are bad news. I know that there are places that God needs to change my heart and my mind and believe in his good news in the gospel that what we sang just a minute ago, actually all morning this morning, that when Jesus came, died on a cross, three days later rose from the dead, defeated death, defeated sin, and that changed everything, that that good news actually has a way of permeating all of my life changing my heart and mind, and believing that God's way is better than Dan's way. That's his call. And he's going to make me into something if I surrender my life to that. And it's a long, lifelong process. And the good news affects everything. It literally affects all that I am and everything I do. It affects my thoughts. It affects my beliefs. It affects my emotions. It affects my actions. As I begin to believe that God's way is good news for my heart and my life, I become transformed into something that looks like him, a little Christ, which happens to be what Christian means. I become a follower, a disciple, a learner of him. And so we come to the definition of what is this process? What is this change that God wants to do in you and me? where we, we repent, where we turn, where we have our hearts changed, and we change a direction, we change our mind, and begin to believe that his way is better than ours in every area of our life. A simple definition of this is this. Discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief about what is true of God and the gospel in absolutely, in absolutely every area of life. That's what discipleship is. It's every area, every thought, every belief, every emotion, every action. Believing that there is a process in which it turns our hearts and our lives and we begin to discover, we begin to believe, we begin to transform into knowing that there is something in the gospel, what God says about us, who we are in him, that we know who we, we are, who he says we are, as we just sang, in absolutely every area of our life. Because the truth is, if we're not walking it out in that area of our life, we are walking in unbelief. And we may not believe that, but the truth is, if we're not in line with where God wants us to live, and we're in line where with we want to live, then we are still in a place where we believe our way is better than his. We're still in a place where we believe that if we walk out the way that we feel is right, that we're going to find happiness, joy, and fulfillment there. And discipleship is you and I engaging this process of the Holy Spirit, of God calling us to turn from that unbelief and believing that his way is the right way in every single area of our life. What does this look like? <laughs> I, need to know, I need you to know this ahead of time. I'm about to offend every single one of you. All right? And the only reason I can say that is because I've offended myself many times as I was praying through this. One of the ways that we move from unbelief to belief in our life, the first place is this, and we know this. For those people that we know that aren't believers in Jesus, that don't believe that they are sinners in need of a savior. Discipleship is the process 
of moving them from unbelief to belief, from them believing the truth about God and the good news of Jesus Christ in that area of their life. And we know that. Some of us call that evangelism, but that is also making a disciple of Jesus, is moving them from that. But it's not over from then. I've said before, that we believe is the touchdown. No, folks, that's the kickoff. That's the kickoff. Because it could move into parenting. For those of us that are parents, we understand that we have places where we've learned things about how to be a parent and how to do it the right way and how we instill things into our kids. And we we have other parents that are doing things like having their kids in soccer at age three and giving up our time in church and giving up every single weeknight because they're going to go on a scholarship so we don't have to pay for college. And we allow that belief to be what drives us and to shape our family life to the point where we're walking out the ways of the world and God says, no, the unbelief in your heart is that if you put me first in your family and your children, regardless of whether they have a scholarship or not, their life will be in line with me and they will grow in me and they will become disciples of me. And in that and that alone is where they will find truth and happiness. It's looking at our kids as parents and saying, okay, this behavior is important to change. We want this behavior to change, but it's not just about being a behavior modifier. It's about the fact that there's places in their heart that need to turn from the way that they're wired as kids to being turned to Jesus, where they believe that loving and living like Jesus is the most important thing in their life. And if you don't believe that doesn't start early, go into the room and help out with a toddler, because we need people in toddler ministry anyway, and go there, so this may be a challenge to you, and find two kids and give them a toy in the middle, and tell me if you find a two-year-old that picks it up and says, yours. No, you know what they say? Mine. It's embedded in all of us. My way, my way, my way. Parenting process. Marriage. Our marriages. There's a, there's a thing inside of our marriage that we believe, especially from the world, that it's all about attraction and about feelings and about love, however it's you know, put on the screens for us to see. We don't believe that it's about covenant. We don't believe it's about fidelity to him or to her. We don't believe that God has given us a helpmeet, a perfect complement to all that we are, and he has found that person for us, and we have covenanted before him. We don't believe that everything that we need from the opposite sex in life can come from them. And so when we walk in unbelief, then we start to do things. We start to look at things on screens. We start to believe that the places where we're not feeling fulfilled by that other person can be fulfilled by something else other than God's intended way. And our marriages come to be crashing apart. And our marriages break apart. And God says, no. Do you not believe that my good news, that what I did in Christ and how I want to change your heart and your life Actually, if you would apply that to your marriage and allow me to change your mind about how I see the union of two people will lead you to a place where you believe that the best way to love her, the best way to live for him is to believe in what Jesus says about it. It could go to the way we approach scripture, the way that we approach worship. Do we really approach scripture in our time in the word where we say, God, I know that there are thoughts, there are ways in my life, there are emotions, there are plans in my life that probably aren't in line with you. 
But if I'm not walking them out the way that you say, I'm walking out in unbelief. And so, Lord, as I sit before you today, as I get into your word, I want your word to get into me. Folks, this is the prayer I pray every time I sit before it. And I say, Lord, take me to a place, call me to the place where I repent from the places that are far from you so that I begin to believe that your way, what you give me this morning, this afternoon, this evening, is for me to turn and start believing that your way is better, surrendering that to you so your spirit can change me. And every time, just like I do when I preach, every time I journal this out and I say, what am I supposed to do about what God's called me to do today? How is his Holy Spirit supposed to join me in this? When I come in to worship him, as I sing, I am, you are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. It's not just words. It's not just me putting up my hands. I approach this morning and say, there are places this week where I've believed I'm something other than what he says I am. And you know what? In those areas of unbelief, I walked it out. And you know what it brought? Death, destruction, hurt, guilt, and shame. And as I sing with all of you, my family, as we sing, you are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am reminded once again that what he says I am is who I am. And I believe that. And I'm overwhelmed with it. And his spirit fills me. And I know I have to leave here knowing that. That's why we worship. So our hearts and our lives are pointed to him and we again believe. Listen, discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in what's true about God and the gospel in every single area of our life. It affects our, our finances. Yeah, I told you I'm gonna offend everybody. It affects our finances. Do you know that if you haven't surrendered your finances to the Lord, it's a discipleship issue? It is. Everybody says, oh, the pastors in the churches, they just want your money. No, God wants your heart. And if you don't believe that giving him the small portion he's asked is going to lead to him blessing you when all of the world's economy is his, not yours. If you're not doing that, you're walking out on belief. You're believing that what you know about your bank book is more than what he knows. You're believing that his, your control over your finances is, is, is more in control than what he knows. And what he says is, that he, what he says in, uh, I think it's Micah, is that test me on this when you bring your, your tithes to the storehouse and see if I do not open up the heavens of blessing. That's what he says. We believe what we want to believe, and we need to ask God to change our hearts to believe something else. In this country that we live in today, the reason we need discipleship in our churches is because I, I'm sorry, God, <laughs> we are sometimes become disciples of CNN and Fox News more than we are of the Bible. We do. And we start to believe what they say about interpreting the, the things of this day, regardless of which side you're on, more than we actually get in front of this word and we say, Lord, what do you say about this? Jesus, the one who I claim to follow, the Lord who I am called to get in line with and walk with, to learn from, to adopt the head, heart, and hands of. Lord, what do you say about this? Folks, we have to get this right 
Because you know what? There's probably people in this church, and if they're not yet, I'm hoping there is, that watch one of those two programs or live on one of those two sides. And guess what? The unity that we will find as we live for Christ in the belief of the good news is found in his Holy Spirit when all of our hearts are turned toward him. And if we believe that the divisions that are in our country are supposed to be in this room, then we're walking out on belief. We are. We, he wants to change our hearts because guess what? Neither of them are fully in line with where he wants to call us to live. It changes the way we view politics. It changes the way we view poverty. It changes everything. I can, we, we can't argue about, you know, the right to life and things like this and then still have a problem with the fact that there are women that are having miscarriages in Flint, Michigan, because after all this time, they still haven't fixed the water and say that's not a Christian problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to have a place in our hearts where we are disciples of Jesus and we understand that every single thing of who we are is called to walk away from the unbelief of our hearts that are shaped by the world, by our experiences that are different, and that God wants to change our heart and our lives and believe that his good news, that his word, that his truth is the only way to live. And it's gonna hurt because change isn't easy. Every time we, you know, I don't know if you work out, but every time you lift, you know, you know what happens to your muscle? It tears a little bit. It hurts. You're sore after. Discipleship's this process, and this is going to hurt. It's going to challenge us, and it's not going to be Dan challenging you. I, I, the only one person I want to be challenged by is Jesus. And the only thing that he, one, one of the only things that I have to be challenged by him is his word that he gave. And all of it is good to challenge me. And he wants to change my heart. This should change our identities. Because there's places where we ascribe our identity and who we believe we are to lots of things that we do. And God wants to move you in your employment, in your retirement, in your family life, away from believing that's where your primary purpose and that's where your primary responsibility is to a place where you believe that walking out the life of discipleship is where you're called. Because it's what Jesus wanted us to do. It changes the way that we approach unbelievers. We're going to be talking about this in a few weeks. We realize, yes, every single time that we're in a conversation with friends and people that we want to reach for Jesus Christ, we understand, we understand that they need to move from a place where they don't believe that they are sinners in need of a Savior to becoming people who believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and salvation is only found in him. I get that, but you know what? Some of your neighbors, some of your coworkers, some of your friends, the first place that you need to reach them in their unbelief is the fact that a Christian would even be their friend. And when you're their friend, before you ever present to them the gospel, you are discipling them to move from unbelief to belief that guess what? A Christian would actually love me. And if you don't believe Jesus would do this, then I challenge you to read the stories where nobody else would talk to a prostitute. But she, before Jesus ever told her that she's forgiven her of her sin or to leave her life of sin, felt like she could approach him to wash, her feet, wash his feet with her hair. Because she believed that she could approach 
him and do something completely out of the ordinary that would have been never accepted in that culture. She believed something was true about Jesus even before she knew that his call was going to be to leave her life of sin. And I'm, I, I tell you, I, I, I have a hard time with churches that expect people to be saved, sanctified, and holy before they ever walk through these doors. And there are going to be people that walk through these doors that have places in their hearts and lives of unbelief that we have to disciple them into believing the truth about God and the truth about the gospel in themselves before they ever reach the place where they move from unbelief to belief in the fact that they're sinners in need of a savior. And we need to approach our discipleship this way. Am I making sense? You with me? This is challenging. It's not easy. As you think about this, as you think about this definition, I'm, you know, I ask you this morning, very simply, first of all, for you, what area of unbelief about what's true of God, what's true of you, what's true of his gospel, what area, if you were to think about it just for a moment, does God want to move you forward in your discipleship, in your fellowship? Is there a place, is there a pattern, is there a thought, is there an emotion? Is there a place in your marriage, in your family, in your parenting, in your work life? Is there a place in your heart and in your life where you would say to me, immediately because the Holy Spirit just brings it to you, yes, I am walking out a life of unbelief here. If I was to say to you, Dan, this is where, if I'm I'm honest with you, I'm still struggling. Where I'm believing that my way is better where I'm refusing to believe that what this scripture clearly says is actually going to bring wholeness, completeness, joy. Where's that place? Because even this time is meant to be discipleship. Even this time is a place where God is saying to you, my repent, your repentance, my call in your heart right now to change your heart and life is to call you to believe in my good news. We forget that, Right? We forget the gospel's called good news. And his call for us to change and be transformed is to call us away from the things that are bad news. What's good news in your life today? What does God want to be good news in your life today? Write it down. Make a note. Put it in your phone. Surrender that to him this week. Come up here afterwards. I'd be happy to pray with you about it. That's the first question. The second question is, how does this definition change your mind? How does this definition even cause you to repent from your previous understanding of discipleship? It's not a book that we go through and once we get to the end of the book, we're disciples. No, it's an ongoing process throughout our entire life where God wants to move every single part of you from areas of unbelief to belief so that you believe uh, what, what God is saying, what's true about him, what's true about the gospel in every area of your life. Because here's the thing, church. <clears throat> I don't want to just do church. I don't. I don't want to do church the way we've always done it. I don't want to just show up here and have the classes everyone is expecting. And not that those can't be vehicles for discipleship. That's a different conversation down the road. But just have the classes and we just show up on Sunday, sing a few songs, I say a few words, and then we just leave. I don't. That's not what Jesus asked me to do. He said, go. Make disciples. 
Make disciples who make disciples. So we need to move in this way and be challenged in this way. We need to become a church of disciples who make disciples. It's a lifelong process to do this. I hope you join us the next four weeks as we walk out. Okay, what are the more specifics of this? How does this process look in our lives? And how do we form or shape ourselves as we follow into the word and into the ways of Jesus? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your your time here today. And I thank you that you were present in our worship, that you're present in this place, that you're moving in the hearts and lives of people, Lord. Lord, allow us as we go forward this week to to truly examine, to truly put our lives before you and say, Lord, where are the places that we need to change our minds and our hearts? Where where are the places where we are unbelieving? We lack the belief that your way, that your call, that being filled with your spirit by, by aligning our lives to what you say is good news. Holy Spirit, as you Bring those things to the minds of the people in this room, Lord. At the same time, through your spirit, empower them because we cannot do this alone. Empower us to come to a fullness in our belief that your good news is good. And all that we are, all who we are, and everything that we are is wrapped up in who you say we are and who you want to change us into. Lord, give us the courage to do disciple-making this week. As we encounter neighbors and encounter family members, encounter co-workers, to ask the question, Father, where are the areas of unbelief in their life where I can show them the good news and help them come to belief in that? And Lord, use us. Use us to lead people to that ultimate question, which is salvation in the name of your Son, and what he has done through his cross and resurrection. Lord, we want to be a church who goes and makes disciples as we surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. You ready to live this? You ready to live this? Let's do it. Let's do it. As you get up and go this week, don't forget Rose is going to be out there in the lobby. We do need help in making our kids become disciples. Check it out. Ask her where you can get plugged in. Sign up and get plugged in in that ministry. It's going to be a great ministry in this church. God bless you. I'll see you next week.